Awesome. Well, Morena family and uh, greetings in the beautiful name of Jesus. Uh, family, it's always a privilege to see you and to be asked to preach. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, family, how good is it to have Pastor Don back in the house uh, this week? We missed him last week um, as well. And uh, Pastor, just so you know that we're all praying for you, that we all realize all the hard work you put into the birth of Declan. And we, we pray that you, Haley continues to be a support system for you as well during uh, this time. So love you, Pastor. Good to have you back. <laughs> I'm done, yeah. I might be finished very soon. If I, I'd better get on with the word final, okay? So we're going to, let's get on with the word of God. Family, who's excited to hear from the word? Yeah. Now, have your Bibles, open them to 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. It should be on the screen as well. I'll read. <clears throat> and we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. The one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. Love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment for we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother he has seen cannot love the God he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother. Let's commit our time to Jesus in prayer. Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that you are a God who has given us a sure word from you, that we have your inspired word from God. And Father, I pray, Lord, the word of God would do its work this morning. I pray the Lord will be like a two-edged sword piercing the hearts of people. Father, I pray, Lord, that you prepare the soil for the reception of your word, that you give people ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to embrace the word of God. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would come under the authority of your word. Where your word needs to encourage, I pray it encourages. Where your word needs to challenge, I pray that it encourages. And where your word needs to comfort, I pray it brings comfort. We love you. We exalt you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, your family, for a few years before I started to work at church, I actually worked a number of odd jobs. And one of those odd jobs was I was actually a teacher's aide or a learning support worker at a high school. I know, very well indeed, Pastor. And class, and sorry, class. I'm having, I'm having flashbacks. I'm having, my trauma is coming back to me, family. But family, I remember one particular day, I was asked actually because of an emergency, to cover a mass class because the mass teacher had to leave urgently uh, due to something that I'm not aware of what that was actually. So family, not only was I asked not to merely assist with the mass class, but I was asked to actually teach the entire mass class algebra. Now family, if you know me, you know that I'm not exactly a mathematician. Okay, I have a hard enough time counting my coins to use the washing machine to pay for the machine, let alone do algebra equations. And family, but here I am, in fact, when I went to high school, when I knew that we had algebra scheduled in math class, I would go out of my way to avoid going to class for any conceivable reason. I'd just go to class. I think there's a word for that. It's called wagging. That's what I would do when we had algebra in class. So family, but here I am having to live my, my, my trauma again at school by now being asked to teach a year nine class algebra. Family, this was the most anxiety-ridden experience of my entire life. Family, here I am in front of a class, 
trying to make sense of these algebra equations that their math teacher, Mr. Swami, has left for them on the board. Family, they may as well be in Chinese, okay? I have no idea what these things are. And family, then the class begins to hound me with questions. They say, sir, how do you carry this? Sir, how do you do this? Sir, what does this side mean? Sir, how do you add this? Sir, how come you're not married? All these sort of questions they keep asking me during the duration of the class. And family, I am dying inside during this whole ordeal. But I try and save face, family. So I say to the class, I say, you know what, class? Mr. Swami has bent over backwards the last two weeks trying to teach you these equations. I don't think I'd be doing you any favors trying to teach you things that you should already know. So class, you know what we need to do? You need to believe in yourself because I believe in you. There you go. What good teaching, eh? Really good teaching. Now family, unfortunately, year nine students are not as naive as I thought they would be. And that one student at the end of the class said to me, sir, how can you be a mess teacher when you can't even do these mess equations yourself? Family, the students operated on the very reasonable and obvious assumption that a mess teacher should be able to do mess. In fact, the defining quality of a mess teacher is the ability to have a mastery of a broad field of mathematics. In fact, by definition, a mess teacher should be able to do mass. That should go without saying, obviously. You're getting some deep teaching here this morning, family. But family, if I was to ask you, what should be the defining and obvious quality of someone who loves God, what would you say it is? If I was to ask you, what should be the manifestly evident and clearly outworked defining quality of a lover of God, what would you say that quality is? In fact, the absence of this quality would call into question someone's profession to truly love God. Wow. Family, that defining obvious quality that is definitional to a lover of God, that quality, according to the Apostle John who penned this portion of Scripture, that quality is love. In fact, in chapter 1 of 1 John, John writes this. He says, when speaking of Christians, he says, the one who loves is born of God. But the one who does not love does not know God. You know, family, sometimes I think John was Samoan because he's very black and white in his thinking. He's very binary in his theology. John likes to draw stark contrasts all throughout Scripture. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, John says, God is light. And if you say you love God, you remain in the darkness by not keeping his commandments, then your love for God is a lie. In chapter 2, John says, if you say you love God but fail to keep his commandments by living in habitual sin, then your love for God is a lie. In John 3, John says, the one who loves his brother is a child of God. But the one who does not love and withholds love from his brother, they are a child of the devil. Your family, when you read John, you discover that John does not write in a straight line. Now, John does not write in a linear fashion where he's kind of building arguments to reach a conclusion, like the Apostle Paul does, for example. No, John writes in circles because he's employing a writing method called amplification. 
That's a safe family. That John only has in mind one or two key things he wants to say in his writing. So all throughout his letter, John simply hits those key themes from slightly different angles all throughout his epistle to amplify them. And family, one of those key themes in his epistle is that God is love. God is light. And if you truly love God, you walk in the light of his commandments and you love your brother. We see this theme amplified once again in our passage where John says in verse 19, the one who says they love God but hates their brother, they are a liar. But family, the type of love that John speaks of in our passage, this type of love that he defines, family, this is not a natural kind of love. This is not a conditional kind of love. This is not a culturally defined type of love. The type of love that John speaks of, family, is a supernatural kind of love. It is a fruit of the Spirit kind of love. It is the type of love that only someone who's been indwelt by the Spirit of God has the capacity to extend to another. Family, this type of love is an agape kind of love. Family, an agape love loves without deviation or change. Agape love loves sacrificially and consistently without any expectation of repayment. Agape love loves even the unlovable. Agape love forfeits self-gratification in favor of self-denial for the other. Agape love lowers oneself in service in order to lift up the other. Agape love loves persistently and relentlessly. Family, this is the type of love that John speaks of in our passage. And it's the type of love, family, that because God has poured this love into us, is now meant to pour out of us. Because we've been the receiver of God's agape love, this love is meant to now flow through us onto others. We love because he first loved us. And family, it's the type of love that finds its very foundation and origin in the character and nature of God himself. This leads family to our very first point of our, of our sermon here. Point number one, verse 16. The author, oh, sorry, the author of love. God is the author of love. Verse 16. <clears throat> and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. John writes, family, God is love. Family, God's character and essence is the very essence and basis of love. God's character is the foundation of which all true love is built upon. God is the fountain by which all true agape love flows out of. Family, this value of agape love does not exist independent of God. That's why John says God is love. His very character is the essence and foundation of true agape love. It's like when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. Jesus is saying that truth does not exist independent of who I am, for I am the truth. Or when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is saying that out there is, there is no light that exists independent of me, for I am the light. Outside of me, there is only darkness. God's character is the very basis and foundation of all true love. God is love. Now, family, we live in a culture that really takes no issue with the idea that God is love. 
We live in a culture that if you tell them, they'll say intuitively, God is loving. God is a loving God. Everybody affirms that, Christian or not. Our culture takes no issue with that. <clears throat> but family, what our culture does take issue with is how the God of the Bible chooses to define and express that love. The word, the word love family in our culture has been robbed of so much of its true meaning, distorted by secular and cultural expectations. So family, I thought it might be helpful in order to say what the love of God is, to tell you what the love of God is not. Amen. First point. <clears throat> Number one, the love of God is not promiscuous. The love of God is not promiscuous. What I mean by that, family? Family, the love of God is not an affirmation of all you choose to be. The love of God is not licensed for all you choose to do. Family, God is love. But God is not only love. God is loving, but God is still holy. God is loving, but God is still just. God is loving, but God is still righteous. God is loving, but God still judges sin. Family, the love of God is never at the expense of his righteousness, his justice, his holiness, and his, his wrath towards sin. Family, all of God's attributes, the fullness of who he is, is always fully expressed and in perfect harmony in the character and nature of God. Does that make sense, family? Family, you cannot unhitch the love of God from the fullness of who he is. You cannot sever the love of God from the rest of his attributes. Does that make sense, family? And family, it is a dead giveaway when someone does this, when they say things like this. While God cannot be loving because he does not bless this kind of lifestyle. While God cannot be loving because he does not bless this expression of sexuality. While God cannot be loving if he sends people to hell. Friend, if that's you, then respectfully, you have brought into the lie that the love of God is somehow promiscuous, unhitched from the fullness of who he is, as if the love of God was like water in a bucket, poured carelessly along the ground, messing everywhere and everywhere. When the reality is, family, the love of God is more like a pure stream of water that flows through the channel of the fullness of who he is to accomplish a purpose. And the purpose of the love of God, family, is to lead you to the cross and to conform you into the image of the Son. Friends, the love of God is not promiscuous. It is a pure love. It is a purposeful love. It is a holy kind of love. This is the kind of love that God has for us. Secondly, the love of God is not sentimental. The love of God is not sentimental, family. What I, mean, what I mean is this, is that whilst the love of God may evoke a feeling, the love of God is not grounded in a feeling. Whilst the love of God may give you the warm and fuzzies, the love of God is not grounded in warm and fuzzies. Why? Because the love of God is not grounded in a felt sensation. The love of God is grounded in revealed revelation. In fact, John does this very thing, family, in chapter, in verse 10, where he says, By this we know that God loves us, that he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. Family, God's love was demonstrated to us when he sent his son to pay our sin debt in full, in order that we'd be reconciled to God and enter this agape relationship with him. In fact, in verse 15 of the chapter, John says that if we confess Christ as the son of God, he now abides in us because the saving work has now been applied to us. Family, that is not a felt sensation. That is revealed revelation. Amen. God's love is not promiscuous. It is a pursuing, pure, agape kind of love. 
This leads to our second point, the assurance of love. Verse 17, 18. This is how God made us complete among us so that we may have full confidence on the day of judgment in this world as we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, family, remember I said by way of introduction that God's love serves a purpose, amen? There's a goal in mind for the love of God. Family, and according to John, the purpose of God's love is to perfect you, to mature you, to help you grow and become complete, amen? His love is a maturing love. And family, John is saying that the outworking of maturity, birthed out of a revelation of the love of God, is someone who can stand boldly in their identity in Christ, but also someone who has full confidence that on the coming day of judgment that they have been made right with God because their love has, because his love has redeemed them. Does that make sense, family? Family, the greater the revelation of the love of God, the greater the boldness I can stand in my identity in Christ. The greater the revelation of the love of God, the greater confidence I have that I, be, that I have peace with God based on the finished work of Jesus. In verse 18, family, it says that perfect love drives out fear. But family, the fear being spoken of in context of the text is fear of coming judgment because and, the, and the punishment it entails. Now, family, as children of God, we understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So family, we walk in reverence of who God is, amen? But family, as children of God, the judgment of God we no longer fear. Because family, whilst God still disciplines his children, God would no longer judge and punish his children because Christ was punished in our place. That's why Romans 8.15, Paul says, no longer do we have a spirit of slavery, but we've been given a spirit of sonship. So we now call God Abba Father. Family, I stand confidently and boldly in the assurance of the love of God. Family, because I've had a conviction of, of the depth of God's love for me, I can stand boldly in my identity in Christ. Family, because I've had a revelation of the love of God, not only do I not fear future judgment, but whatever the future holds, I harbor no fear for. Because the one who holds the future is the lover of my soul. Therefore, whom or what shall I fear? Romans 8, Paul says this, he says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor height, nor depth, or any created thing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Family, there is no mountain high enough, no valley low enough, no river wide enough, no problem hard enough, no darkness bleak enough that can get in the way of the love of God pursuing and chasing down those who belong to him. Family, this is the kind of love that God has for his children. It's a pursuing, relentless, eternal, unchanging type of love. But family, this type of love, whilst it is not based on what we do, it is based on who he is. It's also a love that it transforms those who feel, who have embraced it. It's a transforming type of love. It's a love that does not leave you the same. It's a love that must be poured out to others. Now it's been poured in to you. This leads to our third and final point. <clears throat> the application of love. Verse 19 and 21. <clears throat> we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, he hates his brother, 
he is a liar. For the person who, do, who <clears throat> does not love his brother, he cannot see, cannot love God, he, can, he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother. Your church, this agape love of God that's being poured into us is now to be poured out of us. As we lavish it on our brothers and sisters, this is what God expects from us. But family, John warns of the consequence when this love is withheld, that this love is withheld because out of hatred for our brother or sister. Family, if you say you love God, but hate your brother, and I say this with love, then you are self-deceived because you're brought into the lie that you can love God and withhold love from your brother or sister. <clears throat> your family, this is not the first time that, God is, that John has used the word love in this epistle. Sorry, liar, I should say, in this epistle. In fact, in this epistle, John puts together three tests that he uses to determine if your love for God is genuine. And a failure to keep just one of these tests would render your love for God a lie. The first test John puts together is the moral test. John says that if you say you love God, but fail to keep his commandments by living in habitual sin, then your love for God is a lie. The second test is the theological test, we could say, where John says that if you say you love God, but reject the true Christ, the biblical revealed historical Jesus, then your love for God is a lie. And the third test is what I would, would call the relational test, where John says, if you say you love your brother, so if you say you love God and withhold love from your brother and hate them, then your love for God is a lie. Now, friend, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, Jake, I passed those first two tests at least. That moral test, yeah, I'm not in habitual sin. I do a pretty good, pretty good job keeping the commandments. I live in fear of God. I passed that moral test, it seems. The theological test, yep, I passed that one as well. I believe in the true Jesus, born of a virgin, second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, lives a sinless life, dies on the cross to atone for sin, on the third day rose from the dead. I affirm the true Jesus. And yet you still hate your brother. Friend, it doesn't matter how sound your theology is. It doesn't matter how biblical your view of Christ is. It doesn't matter how good your, the rest of your life seems to be. Because if you still hate your brother, then your love for God is rendered a lie. How can you love God that you cannot see and not love your brother that you can see? Calvin said, it is a gross boast for someone to say that they love the God they cannot see, but cannot love his image bearer that stands right in front of them. Now, friend, you might be sitting here and thinking, wow, Jake, you don't know what this person has done to me, that they have earned my scorn or disdain or even hatred, that they've mistreated me, that they've abused me, that they have discouraged me, that you feel like your hatred or even Lack of love is justified for this person. Perhaps you feel like it's warranted to feel hatred and scorn towards this person. And friend, if that is you, then I say this with love. Friend, perhaps you need to be reminded of the depth of your own sin and offense that God has forgiven you of. Perhaps you need to be reminded of how unlovable you were when God showered you with his redemptive agape love 
when you were lost in the depth of your own sin, going your own way, where God chose to lavish you with his redemptive, saving love. Family, we love because he first loved us. If I could have the band join me on stage, please, that'd be great. Now, family, look, if I'm being honest with you, if I can honestly say that I've probably never hated anybody, if I'm being honest. But church, I know what it's like to hold resentment towards someone or ill will towards someone or to hold ill feelings towards someone and felt like they deserved it or they had it coming because they mistreated me, because they, they sort of discouraged me, they, they spoke badly of me. And therefore I felt like because they slighted me, because they wronged me, because they mistreated me, I felt like I was justified withholding love from them. In fact, I remember in my own quiet time speaking to the Lord and saying, Lord, this person, they, I'm finding it hard to love them. They're super discouraging. They go out of their way to, to undermine and, and to question and to put me down and never speak life. And, and this has been going on for a while now. Lord, I'm finding it hard to love them and forgive them and extend love and grace to them. And family, I'll never forget what the Lord said to me and impressed on my heart. He said, what I have forgiven you of is immeasurably, incomprehensibly greater than what you are called to forgive them of. You may find them unlovable, but you were grossly unlovable when you were lost, when you were a lost sinner in the depths of your own decision-making and sin, when I chose to lavish you with my redemptive, saving love and make you a son. Therefore, who are you to withhold agape love from your brother when a holy and just God never withheld it from you? Family, we love because he first loved us. Amen. This agape love family that God has poured into us is now meant to be poured out of us lest we, lest we, we found out to be a liar. Now, family, you might be sitting here, family, and thinking, wow, this, this God that we speak of that's poured out his agape love into his children and to those who belong to him, this God is, I'm unfamiliar with. I have no knowledge of this God that you speak of that we have been, that says showers his children with agape love. Family, perhaps you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Perhaps you actually want to enter this agape relationship with this God who fashioned and formed and created you. Well, family, if that is you, friend, if that's you, this is the truth. This God who fashioned and formed you in his image, he loves you. And he created you for a purpose. And that purpose is to know him. But there's a problem. And the Bible says that problem is sin. Sin is simply missing the mark. It's simply living in violation of the character of God. And it's caused a sever between you and God. And family, the Bible says the wages or penalty of sin is death. Because God is holy, he cannot coexist with sin. And because God is just, he must punish sin. But friend, God is not merely holy and just. He is abounding in mercy and love. And God's mercy was demonstrated when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to pay your sin debt in full, and to reconcile and restore you into a agape relationship with God. Friend, if that sounds like you, if you'd like, if you'd like to enter the agape relationship with the Father, then with every head down and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Every head down and eye closed. 
Friend, if you want to experience the sonship of God, enter this relationship where God calls you one of his children, raise your hand. Awesome. I see their hand at the back. See their hand as well. Wonderful. Well, family, I want to get us to, to pray together, pray collectively. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I repent and turn from sin and turn to you. Today's a new day, and I submit to you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.